Today's scripture comes from Matthew 26, verses 36 through 40. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face against the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. This is the word of God. Guys, today's scripture um, and message deals with loneliness, and that's something that I think all of us here today can identify with. It's a uniquely human thing that even God made flesh experienced. If you would bow your heads and pray with me now. Uh, dear God, um, today we come before you um, ready and open to receive the word uh, from Nithin. I pray that you are with him. Um, I pray that you are with the hearts and the minds of the people here today and, and virtually joining in with us. And I pray that the words today are not of him, but of you. And I pray that change can be made in the lives of people that hear this message today. And that there's a comfort and togetherness and uh, that your Holy Spirit can, can touch people in a way uh, that might take the loneliness away for some time. Pray this in your holy name. Amen. Deep in the South African wild, the black mamba snake is one of the deadliest in the world. The snake's fangs act like a hypodermic needle, injecting venom quickly and efficiently. It only takes two drops of venom to spread toxic poison throughout the bloodstream. Luckily, if you act quickly, there is a cure and you can survive. First, a tourniquet is used to stop the spread of the poison through the body. Next, oxygen and respiratory support is given because the heart and lungs are weakened from the spread of toxins. Finally, the antidote to the venom is injected directly into the bloodstream to neutralize and eventually overcome the poison that is being spread. Now, while few of us will actually ever encounter a black mamba, maybe even more dangerous are the toxins we encounter every day. Navigating our current reality can feel like a dangerous and terrifying jungle full of snakes ready to bite. The good news is that while deadly, there is actually a cure to everything toxic in our lives. An antidote within our reach that will restore health and vibrancy to our minds and hearts. Just like treating a deadly mamba bite, we can cut off the poison of polarization that is penetrating our souls by turning away from sin and towards the cure of forgiveness. When our bodies and souls are shutting down under the stress of daily life, we can fill our lungs with life-sustaining support from the Bible, the Word of God. And when it feels like our broken hearts will never heal and there is no hope, we can inject ourselves with the truth of God, the antidote that will neutralize the poison affecting our entire world. All right, well, what's up, City Alliance? How y'all doing today? Uh, hey, before we jump in, will you join me in welcoming those who are watching on Facebook and online? What's up, everybody? What's up, Facebook? Well, if you're new, uh, my name is Nithin. I have the uh, privilege of being the lead pastor here at City Lines Church, along with our incredible staff. And uh, we are kicking off a brand new series that was called Overcome a Toxic World, or Overcoming a Toxic World. And this is actually a series that was inspired by a church out in Cincinnati 
Ohio called Crossroads. And guys, I know many of you, you listen to different podcasts, different preaching throughout the week. Don't worry, I don't take it personally. But, you know, you get all sorts of different teachings. So I want to throw something to put in your podcast mix because the guys at Crossroads are phenomenal preachers and teachers. Uh, Brian Tome here, he is the lead pastor there. Uh, Chuck Mingo, Allie Patterson, and then Kyle here. Uh, they're the teaching pastors. And I put this picture in because he's wearing a Patriots jersey. This is for Brandon Rathbun specifically for... I'm sorry about your patriots, but uh, but listen, if you guys are you know always looking for more stuff to kind of learn and continue to grow in your faith, this is a great podcast for you to listen to. And the reason why we're covering this is because, guys, we live in a pretty toxic world. Can you agree with me on that? You can give me a little amen if you're with me on that. It is incredibly toxic. If you look at this, the polarization that is all around us, and in fact, this is the very nature of the world we are in. We are living in a world that literally from the ground up is... Is toxic. In fact, one of Jesus' closest friends and one of his OG disciples, John, puts it this way in 1 John 2.16. He says this, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the where? From the world. Type in world if you're watching with us online right now. And here's the thing. When it talks about the world, the Bible has a very specific meaning about the world. It's not talking about rainbows and sunsets and, you know, hiking and fishing and all, all that stuff. The world is actually the sinful systems and structures that we put together as people. When we come together to make society work, to make culture work, we are sinful human beings. Therefore, sin kind of gets embedded into our culture. It gets embedded into our society. That's why there's all these things like inequality and all this brokenness that's all around. That's what the Bible calls the world. And the world in and it of itself is toxic. And these toxins can come up and they can kind of surround us. But the problem happens is when these toxins actually get injected inside of us. Because when they get in, it's very hard to get them out. In fact, uh, if you look around and you're wondering how toxic is our world, just go on social media. Uh, or just open up your news app and start scrolling. And you start to see all the toxicity. I was talking the other day with um, you know, a guy who was, going around, you know, was taking a walk. He's a teacher. And he's like, Nathan, it's really bad right now. Like, there's just so much polarization over masking or unmasking, vaccines or no vaccines. How do you teach racism in schools? It becomes this whole big thing where literally it's just, it just, it's just starting to get inside. It's starting to make me feel actually more bitter and more angry. And what happens is when these toxins get inside, they do all sorts of damage. And when I think about this, how do these toxins affect us? You know what sometimes helps is we can actually take a look at the natural world. Because the natural world sometimes teaches us something spiritual. And so we're going to learn something from these guys right here. You can go ahead to the next slide here. Who's feeling really creeped out right now? A couple of you guys, yeah. So this is a viper, it's a, it's a poisonous snake here. But I want you to take a look at this guy. I mean, the way he moves, it kind of is a little bit creepy. He's got these red eyes, he looks kind of angry. And I, actually, if you get bit by one of these, it can do all sorts of damage from the inside out. Literally, the venom and the poison, the toxins will consume you from the inside out. Out. And, you know, when I was kind of thinking about this idea of just the toxins in our world, kind of like toxic venom from a poisonous snake, I'm like, who do I know that is an expert at snake toxin? And I can only think of one man in this area, and that is Mr. Clyde Peeling himself. Have you, any of y'all been to Reptile Land? 
or Reptile Land. Okay, some of you have. Um, we're new to the area. We, I went for the first time this past week to talk to Clyde so I can understand a little bit about how do these toxins work, these venoms and snakes, how do they work in people or in any kind of mammal? Now, in this video that you see, it's a little interview that we do with Clyde. There's roaring in the background from a very angry triceratops. So if you're having some issues listening, that's it. Let's go ahead and take a look at this uh, video with Clyde Peeling. Hey guys, I am here with Clyde Peeling, the man, the myth, the legend. How are you doing today, Clyde? I'm doing well. Can you give us a, maybe a little bit of a, like a, like a snippet of how Reptile Land started? Started as a hobby uh, when I was 12. I, th I think I had a pretty good idea what I wanted to do with my life. And I uh, came out of the uh, Air Force in 1964 and started in building Reptile Land, and we've been building ever since. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of poisonous snakes. What kind of poisonous snakes do you have here? Um, and if, on a scale from one to 10, how lethal do you, are they? The toxicity of venom is not always necessarily, it doesn't always make the animal the most dangerous. Sure. Uh, I would say probably of all the animals we have here, the, the king cobra mm. is the most dangerous. They carry a large quantity of venom and yeah. it's a neurotoxin which attacks the nervous system essentially and it will basically shut down your motor yeah. uh, uh, system and eventually you'll, you'll die. Cobra bites, sometimes they're not terribly painful initially yeah. until you can no longer breathe. <laughs> but right. uh, but uh, with the hematoxins, it's, it's a lot of pain, swelling, discoloration. I was bitten by a western diamondback rattlesnakes. In my case, the snake bit me three times here oh and gosh. created a big blister, swelled up the arm, crossed the neck and chest, finally stopped swelling a day later over here. It looked like somebody had taken a blowtorch. So what is the cure? How do you treat people when they get bitten by... by Again, uh, it depends on the snake, but if you get bitten by a rattlesnake, for example, here in Pennsylvania, the old protocol was you would cut it and, and suck the venom yeah, out. Yeah. Well, that very often the, the cutting does as much damage right. and maybe even increases the uh, uh, ability of the, the venom in the tissues to spread. So that's right. no longer recommended. You, uh, you might uh, get some value out of keeping, let's say you were bitten on the hand, keeping your hand cool. Mm. I wouldn't pack it in ice because you may end up getting tissue damage from the, you know, the frostbite. Yeah. But um, until you get to a hospital, that's one way to slow down the spread of the venom. Mm. Now, in the case of a cobra bite, uh, your emergency treatment might be a, a, a compress, mm -hmm. like an ace bandage. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And then upon reaching medical attention, you would get serum as well. Well, hey, Clyde, thank you so much for giving us some of your time for uh, you know, sharing Reptile Land with us today. I really appreciate uh, okay. meeting you. Thank you. Can we hear it for Clyde and the guys of Reptile Land? Really appreciate them. Uh, their hospitality kind of letting us kind of in on, on how these uh, reptiles work. How many of you thought when you were going to come to church today, you were going to learn how to deal with a rattlesnake bite? Any of you are like, okay, some of you did. All right, awesome. You know, we try to educate in all sorts of ways here. But I want you to capture something that Clyde said that I thought was really important was that you've got these two types of snakes. You've got a king cobra and you've got a rattlesnake. When a king cobra bites you, you may not even feel any pain. 
In fact, there's one story of a guy who drove from like New York to New Jersey after getting bit to go to the hospital, didn't feel anything, and then all of a sudden, he, he stops breathing. Then you get that rattlesnake bite where it bites you, and all of a sudden you can feel it. It's like fire in your veins. It's consuming you from the—you can literally feel it. And, and guys, I think there are spiritual toxins in our lives that can operate in those very ways. There are some spiritual toxins. We may not even feel it until all of a sudden it's created havoc in our lives. There are some spiritual toxins that literally as soon as we feel it injected into us, we can see the, da- we can see the damage. We can feel it. We can see how it's affecting other people. And if these aren't addressed, if, if, we, if we don't apply the cure of the gospel to them, they can, re- they can just basically wreck relationships, they can kill our confidence, dissolve our dreams, and actually, if we kind of let them keep going, they can actually harm our health. They can actually have physiological implications. Because here's the thing, we are compartmentalized beings, body, soul, and spirit. So what happens to our spirits and souls impacts our bodies. So guys, over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to share with you where we're going with this series. To, uh, the, today we're going to kind of talk about toxic loneliness. Actually, um, the, the CDC basically says that loneliness is the greatest pandemic. It's a global health pandemic, more than even COVID-19. Next week, because it's Halloween, we're going to talk about toxic fear, toxic anxiety, because, you know, it's Halloween, it kind of fits in with, with kind of where we're going. Then we're going to pause on the toxicity and celebrate baptisms. So, you know, if, you, if you're like, I think I need a break from the toxicness and the poison. Well, we're going to celebrate baptisms and what God's doing in our church. We've got kids and adults, men and women, they're getting baptized. It's really exciting. And there's still room for you to sign up for both services. You can go to citylines.org slash baptism to get more information on that. And then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about toxic pride. And then we're going to wrap it up by talking about toxic shame. Now, these are all kind of pretty heavy topics. Uh, and there's actually a level of seriousness here. But here's the thing. If we don't address these things, they will cause all sorts of damage in our lives. And so, you know, in many ways, we're going to have some really honest conversations. We're going to kind of be very authentic and, and honest here so that we can find freedom. Because the truth is, if we don't talk about this stuff, it has a way, just like that venom does, of dissolving us from the inside out. Because here's, tra- here's the reality, here's the truth. You are as sick as your secrets. The stuff that you're hiding, the stuff that you're ashamed of, the stuff that you're stuffing down that maybe you don't want anyone to know, that's the stuff that's killing you. That's the stuff that we need to learn to apply the gospel to at a deeper, deeper level. It's the stuff that's ruining your marriage, maybe poisoning your relationships, maybe even leading you to lose faith. But you're not even going to be aware of it until all of a sudden the poison's done its damage and it's too late. So we're going to have some honest conversations over the next couple weeks. Uh, We're going to talk about some things with just some candor. So I think we can do that. Can we do that, City Alliance Church? Can we have some honest conversations? Can we get an amen? Amen. We're going to go there. But today, let's start by talking about toxic loneliness. Now, for some of you, loneliness may not even be that much of an issue. I mean, in our society and culture, think about it, we are the most connected generation that's ever uh, come before us, right? We've got cell phones, we've got FaceTime, we've got WhatsApp, we've got social media. We are so connected, but however, if you look at the research, we are the loneliest generation of all time as well. All that comes together. In fact, Vivek Murthy, he was once the um, Surgeon General. He just recently stepped down, I think. But he basically says that loneliness is a public health epidemic. In fact, Cigna Healthcare did all this research that said this, that back in 2019, 20,000 Americans, and they discovered that 46% of Americans report sometimes or always feeling lonely. So that number actually doubled in the past 50 years. 
And this was before COVID-19. It was before the lockdown. So think about this. Before we had all that stuff, loneliness was a major issue. And what COVID-19 did, it, was, it actually revealed what was already concealed, what was already there. It actually brought to light. Now, I want to also say this too. Loneliness is not the same thing as being alone. You guys might know this if you know scripture. Jesus loved being alone with the Father. But the difference is, is that being alone is something that you do physically that you choose into. Loneliness is an emotional state of disconnection. You can be emotionally disconnected to God. You can be emotionally disconnected to people. You can be in a crowd and feel lonely. You can be with your best friends and come up in a good family and feel lonely. You could even be married to an incredible spouse and feel loneliness. That's part of the human condition. And a lot of times, we don't even recognize how loneliness impacts us. This is something that I just learned today. You know, Vivek Murthy, in his research, he writes this. He says, loneliness can actually manifest in different ways with different people. It can look like irritability and anger, fatigue, reclusiveness, depression, or anxiety. We may chalk these up to other conditions or concerns, but many of these states have their roots in loneliness. Loneliness doesn't mean, hey, I'm just going to hang out in this corner here and be by myself or sit in a dark room. You can literally be in a crowd. You can be here right now, today, in our church, sit next to people and feel deeply, deeply lonely and disconnected. And that's a reality. That's a fact. In fact, uh, there's an NPR article that called loneliness a daily ache. It's a deep existential ache, this desire for connection that is not getting met. It is completely blocked off. And in fact, if we continue to let that state keep going, remember, we are compartmentalized beings. Soul, spirit impacts body. And it actually can have physiological effects. It can actually cause uh, social isolation. It can cause impairment of cognitive skills. Uh, impairment in decision-making, problem-solving, and actually have some very negative perspectives of ourselves if we're continually in this state of loneliness. And I want to kind of take a look at how this toxin, this poison of loneliness, actually impacts us by unpacking what's called the brutal cycle of loneliness. You guys go to the next slide here. The brutal cycle of loneliness. See, there is no better description of how this toxin works than calling it a brutal cycle of loneliness. Just like, you know, cobra venom or rattlesnake venom, it kind of works in a different way. This is how the toxin of loneliness gets in. And you may not even realize that it's actually doing damage to you until it's too late. And I actually learned this from another pastor. He's out in Canada, 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 invented in another country, folks. He's out in Canada. His name is Bruxy Cave. He's like a pastor theologian. And, and I learned this from him. And, he, and so I want to kind of unpack this with you. The first part of this cycle, it starts with loneliness. You actually feel lonely. Maybe you've experienced this where you go on social media and you're scrolling and you see all of your friends and they're all together at New Trail. And you're like, how come I didn't get a phone call? How, how come I didn't get an invite? And all of a sudden you're feeling kind of triggered. Or maybe your kids come back from being with your ex, and, and your ex is with someone, and they're like, man, we love this person, and we love being with them, and, and all of a sudden you're kind of feeling a little frustrated, maybe a little irritable. It's actually loneliness. Or maybe you, someone you know just got married, and, and you're single, or, or they're having a baby, and you're still waiting, and now all of a sudden you're, you're, all these emotions are coming up because you're feeling that sense of isolation 
Or you find out a family member or a close friend has just passed away, someone that you've shared so much life with, and now all of a sudden you're, you're sensing there's a gap, there's a disconnection that's there. Which then leads to the second part, which is hypervigilant and critical. Hypervigilance means you're just super, super aware. You know, now you're, you're going through people's social media, you're looking through all their pictures, all their Facebook posts, and you're trying to see, and you can start getting critical. You start going, man... That's really like, you know, I can't believe, you know, they're, they're being so inconsiderate. Why would they do that? Or, you know, they're just like, you know, or, or, or maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe, maybe no one's inviting me out because there's, some, there's an issue with me because of my own kind of struggles. And we start getting critical of either those outside or we start getting critical of ourselves. Or, man, I can't believe people are already moving on. Mom just passed away. And people are already just going on as if everything's okay. It starts to get hypercritical, and then you start getting the suspicion of others. Because what happens is the venom of loneliness starts to actually become a filter on how you see things. So even neutral interactions with people become this, oh, why would they say that way? Why would they say what they just said? What are they trying to do? What are they trying to say? Yeah, yeah they may have invited me out, but it's because they felt bad. It's because they felt bad. They don't really want to spend time with me. Or, you know what? There's no point in reaching out to other people. They're just going to say they're busy. Uh, they're just going to say that they've got other things that are going on. Or, you know, no one really wants to. You know, it's been a really rough couple of weeks. It's been a hard season. I know I'm a little extra. So I don't think anyone really wants to hang out with me. Which then, loneliness becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because then people move away. It's like, oh man, I don't... I don't know if I can hang out with Kyle. Kyle's a little bit like, oh, he's, 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 all, he's always complaining. I'm just going to have a quick conversation to move on. Or maybe we shouldn't call Justin up because, you know, he, he's always just super critical and super sensitive. And then all of a sudden, people are moving away, and it makes us feel what? Lonely. And the cycle perpetuates itself. See, this is why this is a brutal cycle. We may not even be aware of what's happening to us because if we are not aware of the injection of loneliness, when we get bit by loneliness, we can easily go down this route and pretty soon we're pushing other people away. Can I ask, you don't have to answer this, but just maybe to yourself, have you ever gone through this cycle? Have you ever found yourself somewhere here where you're, you're getting more negative, you're getting more prickly, you're getting more, you know, you realize that as you kind of keep going down this cycle, it's actually severing relationships with other people. And if that's you today, and if it's not you today, it could be you tomorrow, or maybe you're seeing this cycle in other people's lives, I have good news. The gospel actually shows us how we can interrupt this cycle. Jesus actually shows us how we can defang the venom and the poison of the toxicity of loneliness and come into communion with Jesus and communion with the church. Amen? Because this is a human need, a human desire that we can find fulfillment in. And I want to show us how Jesus does this. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew 26 that Seth just read for us today. And as you're turning there... Let me kind of give you a little bit of breakdown on kind of what's happening here. Matthew is one of Jesus' early biographers. He's also one of the original disciples. And Matthew is actually kind of tracing the last week of Jesus. This is Jesus' last week alive on earth. And throughout this week, we actually see Jesus getting the bite of toxic loneliness. It's actually starting to circulate through his system. Because think about this. Jesus, if you, if you know the Gospels, has been telling his disciples over and over again where this thing is leading. We're going to get to the cross, guys. We're going to go to the cross. We're going to go to the cross. And the disciples are like, what? 
what's happening? And so there's this deep sense of loneliness of purpose that literally he can't share this with his disciples. Have you guys ever had that? Maybe you have a situation at work and you try to share that with a spouse and they just aren't connecting. They, they just, they're just disconnected with it because they're not there. They don't feel it the same way you do. That's exactly what's happened. They don't fully understand what Jesus has to endure. That Jesus very soon is going to take on the weight of our sin on himself. And then very, very soon after that, while he's taking that, he's actually going to experience the most lonely time of his entire life, being separated from God the Father. He's going to literally be consumed by toxic loneliness. And so the disciples aren't aware of that's happening. So as Jesus is experiencing this, we see how he handles it. Let's go ahead and take a look at this, starting at verse 36. It says this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane is where uh, Jesus is, and his disciples would often go. They'd go hang out there. That was kind of like where they'd go spend some time. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. So he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So let me pause for a second here. I want you to imagine this. Imagine someone in your life who you feel like they are bulletproof, they are invulnerable. Like you've known them ever since you were little, and they are just the strongest person you've met. But then all of a sudden, they start crying. They start weeping. How would you feel in that moment? Or how did you feel when you, in that moment? That's a little bit what's happening in this sex section here. The disciples have always seen Jesus emotional, but they're seeing him at this whole other level. And then it says this. It says, Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So Jesus has taken his best friends with him up to the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes, guys, I need some time. Will you you just come and hang out with me? And in that moment, Jesus is expressing sorrow like they've never seen before. He's expressing anguish that they've never seen before. And as he's expressing all of these things, uh, they're trying to kind of figure out what's going on here. It's, It's a lot for them. And then as that's happened, Jesus goes and he prays and says this in verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So right here, Jesus is expressing the weight of the loneliness he's experiencing. He's like, God, I... I know what's coming. I know that I'm going to take on the sin of the world. I know that I'm going to die for the sins of others, and I'm going to be separated from you. But is there a way we can maybe move this on to someone else? Is there another way? Is there another avenue? But then he says, all right, God, I'm I'm going to accept this path of loneliness. And then says in verse 40, he returned to his disciples, and he found them what? Sleeping. That's right. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour yes peter you see i think what's hard is that sometimes when we feel lonely we feel like we're all alone but here's the good news jesus tasted loneliness in a way that we would never ever taste it jesus experienced complete separation from his heavenly father on the cross so that you could always know god's presence and god's love And so, guys, I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're experiencing toxic loneliness or any kind of toxicity, just know that he knows what it's like. He knows where you're at, and he is with you in that, and he wants to invite you into a relationship that is life-giving and full of hope. Because this Jesus who was on the cross who said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
He experienced that so that you wouldn't have to, so that you could actually have a relationship with him where you would know intimacy with, with, with him, with, with God, and with his people. But I want us to take a look at how Jesus handled the loneliness he was experiencing because there's three things that we can learn. There's three treatments that we can apply from this interaction that will help us when we're experiencing toxic loneliness or when you see toxic loneliness in the lives of other people. The first is this, is that we need to normalize loneliness. We need to normalize loneliness. You know, so often we think, and you know, part of this is kind of my personality, whenever we feel any kind of loneliness, there must be something wrong. I mean, when we look on social media, everyone is always happy, you know, you know, happy, shiny, bright people, always on social media, always on Facebook, everyone seems like they're all hanging out together, and we feel like if we feel lonely, if we feel like there's anything off inside of us, there's, oh my gosh, something's wrong, I have to fix it, I have to get busy, I have to distract myself, I have to do this, that, and the other thing, but what if loneliness is actually normal? What if this chronic ache that we feel is actually what it means to be human? And often we try to feel the same way with shame, too. <coughs> we, we, we feel like we try to want to dull it when it comes our way. But I want us to look and see how Jesus actually normalizes loneliness. He actually talks about it with his disciples. He says this in verse 38. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then he says, would you guys stay here and keep watch with me? In other words, what he's saying is this. <coughs> Guys, I'm feeling lonely. Will you just stay with me? Will you, will you guys just hang out with me? Like, you don't need to say anything. We don't need to do anything. Would you just, just be here as I'm, as I'm sensing this? One of the things that we believe as followers of Jesus is that Jesus is both 100% God and he's 100% man. And there's the humanity of Christ that I think we're seeing here where he's actually admitting, guys, I have a need. It's to be with y'all, to, to be with people. Now, we know Jesus could be alone and have a great time with the Father, but in this place, he's like, guys, I feel lonely. Will you come spend time with me? And, you know, it feels like in, with any kind of kind of human ache, we, we kind of do that naturally. Like, man, I'm feeling kind of hungry. Uh, hey, Brandon, you want to go grab, grab, grab a meal? But what if we actually made that normal with loneliness? Like, hey, I'm feeling kind of lonely. You want to grab a coffee? I'm feeling, feeling kind of lonely, kind of disconnected. Can, can we get lunch? Because I just, I need that interaction. I need that connection. That would be a whole game changer. You know, every other week, uh, I have a phone call with my friend Jimmy. Jimmy is actually, you know, he's kind of like my accountability partner, but we've been friends since high school, so we've had these conversations. And he was asking me how the move was. So, you know, for, for those of you who are new, that our family has moved, we moved here about two months ago, and um, so, you know, we love being in Williamsport. And I was kind of telling him, it's been great. Like, I feel like people at our church have been super welcoming. Uh, you know, we literally have been getting to know folks. We're in a small group. We feel like we're really getting to know people um, at not just like a surface level, but, but at a deeper level. And I was, as I was kind of sharing that with him, I said, I gotta be honest, and I don't know why, but I, I feel kind of lonely. I don't really like it. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm you know, because like, you know, but, but like I'm, I'm with lots of people and our church is amazing. People are so welcoming and I don't know what to do with it. And he said, well, maybe it's okay to feel lonely. Maybe it's okay just to feel the, the way you're feeling. Like you don't need to fix it, but you know, you're in a season of transition and, and maybe this is actually a normal way for you to just be reminded that, you know, 
you need Jesus more in those times. Because like normally, if I feel lonely, and I'm an extrovert, I love being around people, and I love crowds, and I love this kind of stuff. Normally, if I get busy, I'm like, okay, or if I, if I get lonely, I get busy. Okay, let me do this. Let me, let me uh, plan another meeting. Let me, let me go out and hang out with someone else. Let me go work on this and do this thing or that thing. But maybe there's value in just simply allowing yourself to feel lonely. Allowing yourself to admit, hey, listen, this is a normal human thing. And maybe I can reach out to other people and honestly say, hey, I'm feeling kind of lonely. Can, can we hang out? Can we connect? That, that's really the, the need I have here. And what if we were able to normalize that here at City Lines Church? Just like the need for food or for sleep. But what if actually we said, hey, loneliness is a need. And so I need that need to be met. So maybe the next time you're, you're getting a Snapchat and your friends are all off somewhere and you're not there, maybe you can say, you know what? It's okay. It's okay to feel lonely. If Jesus can feel lonely, it just means that I'm human. It means that I have a need. It means I have an ache. That, can be, that, that needs to be fulfilled, ultimately, in Christ. Which brings us to the second treatment, which is to confess your loneliness to God. Confess it to God. Because I think what happens is when we get injected with toxic loneliness, it can be easy to start going through that cycle. We start going through that cycle because it happens so quick, and we all of a sudden, we're not aware of what's happening to us. And what happens is we forget that God wants to come into our mess. We're like, I'm going through this mess of toxic loneliness, and I feel alone, and no one likes me, and, and no one can relate to what I'm feeling. And then all of a sudden we forget, oh wait, I, I should bring Jesus into this. I mean, that's what Jesus did with his loneliness. He actually brought God into it. Look what he says here. It says that he fell on his, with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. So I want you to imagine this, guys. Jesus is not praying any safe or sanitized prayers when he's talking to God. He actually puts it all out in line. It was a first century Jewish man. Jesus isn't praying, Jesus, God, I feel lonely. Will you take this cup from me? Because I'm the only one who can carry it. No, no, no. Jesus goes for it. He goes, Father, this cup is too heavy. I can't drink it. Would you take it away? I can't handle this loneliness, God. Jesus is not afraid to pray a real, honest, painful prayer to his father. It's not sanitized. It's not censored. He takes his loneliness to the father. What if we started to pray like that? Where we didn't hold back in those times where we're experiencing and feeling that loneliness. What if we've prayed, God, I'm just so frustrated and angry that I'm here by myself this weekend while all of my friends are out partying and hooking up. But I want to honor you, but now I feel lonely because I'm making that decision. Or, you know what, it feels really lonely, God, that my ex is able to move on and I can't. That, that I'm trying to honor you and raise my kids up to love and honor you, but, but they're doing whatever they want. God, this is so frustrating, and I feel so alone in this. Or, God, these friendships that I've had for years are, are ending and they're changing, and I feel alone and I don't know what to do or, or who to go to. And it's so hard to put myself out there. I'm not sure if I'm ready to make that risk. What if we began to pray these honest prayers? What would happen is we would actually feel a sense of release because we're inviting Jesus into our pain. We're inviting Jesus into our mess. Because here's the thing. Remember, Jesus knows what it's like to be lonely. Jesus knows what it's like to experience the ultimate of all loneliness, which is to be separated from God. 
And when you invite him in, you experience his presence. And you realize that he's actually dwelling with you in your loneliness. So even though you're, you're looking for connection with others, you can also connect through your creator. Which brings us to the third, and kind of the third treatment that we see in here, which is this. And this is more of the risk, which is to move towards others. Move towards others. Because what happens is when you get injected with toxic loneliness and you start going down that uh, loneliness cycle, what happens is it starts to actually filter the way you see other people. You feel like everyone's throwing shade at you, so you're throwing shade back at them, and you're like, they're being sarcastic towards me, so I'm going to be sarcastic back at them. It goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and pretty soon you've pushed everyone away. But if you want to break through that cycle, do what Jesus did, even in the midst of his loneliness. Look what he says here. It says verse 37. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. So remember, Jesus is experiencing loneliness of purpose because no one else can carry the burden that he's about to carry. He also carried the loneliness of being um, accused falsely. He, he was being tortured. All of his disciples ran away. He was abandoned. He experienced that loneliness. And not only that, he experienced the loneliness of utter rejection from God. And as he's carrying all that, and he brings his closest friends there who don't quite understand it, and what does he do when he's feeling when he's having a hard time, he goes to them, and they're asleep. He does that three times. I, I got to confess, you know, when I was first reading this this past week, I kind of was like, if I can be really honest, my first thought was, man, Jesus is kind of needy. Like, man, he's always going to these disciples. He's like, hey, guys, why don't you wake up? Why don't you stay up with me? Like, what's going on? Like, he, he's kind of being a little bit needy there. But remember, 100% God, 100% man. And part of our humanity is we feel needy at times. It's okay to normalize that. So Jesus, in his neediness, in that moment, is going to his disciples, and they're, they're dropping the ball. Why does Jesus do that? I think Jesus, in that moment, is also modeling for us what biblical community is. Biblical community is when we move towards others, even if we don't feel like it. Biblical community is, I'm going to move towards you even in the midst of my anxiety, in the midst of all of my loneliness filters, where I may not be the best version of myself, but I'm going to move towards people so I can experience love. Because see, the church is really designed to be a community of perseverance and patience. Communities of perseverance and patience. This is really, I really think, who City Lines Church, who we are trying to become. And we're trying to do that more and more and more. See, I believe the church is called to be a place where we can just come with our neediness, with our anxiety, with our mess, towards other messy people. And as we move closer to one another, we can find hope, we can find healing, we can find connection. It, it almost goes something like this. It's like, hey, listen, you know, I, I, I see you're at the bottom of the loneliness cycle right now. You're, you're kind of prickly. You're, you're kind of critical. Um... And maybe you're a little self-absorbed because you're always talking about yourself. You never ask me how I'm doing. But, and you, you know, you got a little bit of a critical edge, but listen, I'm not going to move away from you. I'm going to invite you to come closer. And in fact, I'm going to take a step towards you, even if I think you're needy or you're difficult or if you're kind of prickly, because that's what Christian community does. That's what community does. That's who God's people are called to be. You see, we're not, we can't be the type of people that we're like, all right, this person's difficult. Thank you. Next. Moving on. 
No, no, no. God's called us to embrace the lonely. In fact, in the Psalms, it says that he gives a home to the lonely. He places the lonely in homes. And that's exactly who God is calling us as the church to be. So if you're not feeling lonely, are you opening your life up for those who are lonely? For those who are kind of going through that loneliness cycle, are you like, man, they're really suspicious right now. I don't know if I can handle their complaints, their anxiety, their neediness. But maybe that's the opportunity that God's saying, I want you to invite them in. I want you to invite them in. Or maybe you're finding that you're going through that, to- that toxic, brutal cycle of loneliness yourself. Maybe what that means is that you actually need to find community. And I want to encourage you, if you're, not, if you're disconnected right now, I would encourage you to join a city group. A city group is a place, like we just said, a community of patience and perseverance, where people will be patient with you, but they'll also persevere with you. They want to invite you to come into relationships so that you can continue to grow in your faith, but also know that you're loved and can, re- and can receive love. But today, I want to give you one step. If you're like, Nathan, I don't know if I can quite get into a city group today, but I want to encourage you to get on that trajectory But I think your next best step is to come for prayer, to receive prayer. You can go to the next slide here. We have a prayer team at the end of the service that would love to pray with you if you're feeling lonely. If you're hearing like, Nathan, I'm just feeling kind of lonely. I don't know why. I don't know what my next steps are. Here's your next step. Just come for prayer. Our prayer team would love to pray over you, that you would experience God's presence, that you would experience God's love and his favor over you. And that you'd actually take the good news of Jesus and, in, and, and apply that deep into that place of loneliness. See, loneliness is also a liar that says we're the only ones that feel that way. But the truth is, I think Seth said it well, we all feel lonely. It's, it's part of what it means to be human. If the Son of God felt lonely, 100% human, 100% God, we too will feel lonely. But we have a choice. Do we take our loneliness down that cycle of toxicity where eventually it'll actually cause all sorts of pain and destruction or will we take it to Christ and break out of that cycle and find hope and find healing and find restoration because really he is the one that removes the toxins of loneliness out of our lives. And so if that's where you are today, I would love to pray with you. And remember, I want to invite you to come and get prayer from our prayer teams at the end of the service because they'd love to pray with you, whether it's loneliness or whatever your needs are. Um, Don't leave here today without receiving prayer, without receiving a touch or an encounter from Jesus this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll go into some worship. Jesus, I am so grateful for your presence. One of the things that uh, Christian theologians have taught For eons is the omnipresence of God, that you are God with us, Emmanuel. And so even when we feel lonely, when we feel disconnected, you are with us. That is an objective truth we can hold on to. And so, Father, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters that are in that loneliness cycle. Maybe they feel like everyone's out to get them and everyone's against them. I pray right now that you'd break off those lies in the name of Jesus. I pray, God that you would help them move towards others, towards communities of patience and perseverance where people will actually move towards them. Even in the midst of their neediness and chaos and anxiety and fear, Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us be the church you've called us to be. And so, Father, as we seek freedom 
from the toxins of loneliness. I pray, God, that you would again reveal yourself to us in a fresh way, in a way that we need this morning. Would you disturb the darkness in our lives, bring in the light so that we can be transformed for your glory in Jesus' name.